Hello, I'm Josh Balocco. I'm Brandon Betts. And I'm Ken Snotty. And this is Slave Trade Uncovered. Our listeners may know the names Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malcolm X. But what if I told you that a man by the name of Alada Equiano empowered these uh, Ameri- familiar figures to have the opportunity to speak to the hearts and minds of so many? In American schools, we often learn about the abolitionists from the United States and those famous civil rights leaders. However, Alada Equiano is not a name that comes up in many classrooms. Today, we will share the life, identity, and the importance of a man that is often forgotten beyond the minds of expert scholars. His 1789 autobiography titled The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Alada Equiano, or Gustavus Vassa, the African, was a revolutionary book describing the institution of slavery. Upon its release in England, support for the abolition of British participation in the slave trade grew amongst the public and government officials. Brennan and Kent, would you be able to tell our listeners a bit more about Equiano's importance? Absolutely, Josh. Equiano did not shy away from depicting the horrors of slavery in his narrative. Through multiple editions released in Britain, the abolitionist movement gained momentum and ultimately led of the British Slave Trade Act of 1807. Though he passed away in March of 1797, Equiano's experiences in his book were so important to decade to the decades of work being done across the country. You're certainly right. Well, correct, Brandon. It's important to note that Olada Equiano was a ki- child when he was kidnapped from, I- from his Igbo village in, Ebo- in the Igbo province. As Josh will point out later in the episode, Equiano's life at home was peaceful and rich with culture of pride. Leaders of Equiano's narrative in the past, as well as the present, are shocked to see how quickly for Equiano as a young man. His life was taken away from him, but he did not waste much time getting it back and fulfilling his purpose. Those are powerful words, Kent. After reading the details of Equiano's life before the kidnapping, I was horrified that he got taken into slavery at such a young age. We often think of grown men and women transported during the Middle Passage, but kids were also forcibly taken over to the Americas in this way. We will first take a look at Equiano's life before his kidnapping from his Igbo village. Picture these images for a moment. Some fertile provinces with vegetables and fruits as far as the eye can see. Sophisticated buildings that were constructed by convenience rather than ornament. A rich culture with poets, musicians, and dancers. Women and children join the men in practices of agriculture. This is not the new world that I am describing. Rather, it is the homeland of Alada Equiano and his family, the Igbo province, which is now Southern Nigeria. Though luxuries were limited, Equiano spoke fondly in his autobiography, quote, Blessings of Nature. Though Equiano's region showed prisoners of war convicted of kidnapping, adultery, and other crimes into slavery, it was uncommon for regular enslavement of law, especially at Equiano's youthful age. When traders came to the area lands, they offered guns as well as bows and arrows and swords. Kent. Racist narratives of the slave trade often assumed that Africans were heathen and lacked religious beliefs. Could you share the Igbo religion with our listeners? Absolutely, Brandon. 
Before his conversion to Christianity later in life, Equiano and his fe- fellow Igbo natives believed in one creator of all things. That lives in, in the sun where he smokes a pipe, a notably luxury in his culture. In his culture. These belief systems and practices are known as they established that Equiano's culture was elaborate and evolved. They were not primitive people with, without any traditions. You both are correct in pointing out these details. Equiano included them in his autobiography to show how horrendous the institution of slavery was. Appealing to the sensibilities of the reader, Equiano asked if, his, if Europeans are deserving of the same dreadful treatment in the transatlantic slave trade. Quote, did nature make them inferior to their sons? And should they too have been made slaves? Every rational mind answers no. Let such reflections as these melt the pride of their superiority into sympathy for the wants and miser- miseries of their stable brethren and compel them to acknowledge that understanding is not confirmed, confined to feature or color, end quote. Unfortunately for Equiano and many of the people that he knew, their lives would be forever changed when they got kidnapped. At the age of 11, Equiano got kidnapped along with his sister. Equiano's next phase of life would involve a long and arduous journey across the Atlantic to Barbados and Virginia. However, before Equiano even got to his destined African port, he changed hands several times. Equiano was separated from his sister before entering hands of a chieftain, open quote, in a very pleasant country, end quote. Equiano tells the reader that he pumped water for his own owner, who was a smith that worked with gold. While he was there, Equiano thought that he since there were there were both speaking people around him. He attempted to escape but realized he was nowhere close to home. He grew hungry, anxious, and worried and wished to die. Before this occurred, though, he was reprimanded and not punished. We should remember that these events are all happening as a very young boy. If he was older, the punishment could have been physically and mentally damaging. After his time with the Chieftain, Equiano entered the possession of many thoughtful of many throughout various countries on the coast. He was briefly reunited with his sister and was purchased with crowley shells by a family with a son of the same age. When possessed by this family, he thought that he was a slave since they spoke the same language and had the same customs that he had known so well. This condition did not last long, though, as he was sold at the seacoast to a British ship captain headed towards Barbados. When placed below deck of the ship, the stench was so foul that he did not desire to eat anything. Equiano was flogged and whipped repeatedly by the crew. He wished for death to take him. It took months to get to Barbados on the Middle Passage. When the anchor was dropped in Bridgetown, merchants examined Equiano and the other slaves closely. This process was quite dehumanizing as the captives had to do all sorts of strange things, such as jumping, to determine their value. Connecting to our last episode on cannibalism, Equiano thought that these, quote, ugly men may never eat them, may even eat them. He spent a short period on the island before being transferred to Virginia. It was here that he performed menial tasks like weeding. Captain Henry Pascal later purchased Equiano and named him Gustavus Vassa before taking him to England.
while we discuss some controversy and debate surrounding uh, Equiano's early years, we encourage our listeners to realize the importance of Equiano's autobiography to the abolition of the slave trade. The title may be the most salient element as he was one of the first to establish a holistic African identity when stating that he was, quote, the African, end quote. Before this redefinition, redefinition of self, Africans were often considered distinct subgroups. Equiano's African identity would come to be vital in later years as leaders for abolition saw the institution of slavery as an attack on the people of the entire continent, even though some may have never been brought overseas. Slavery was a poison that could only be cured by dedicated activists like Alada Equiano. Though he was just one man sharing his experiences, he was one of many. Thank you, Josh. Life before and after he as you get important idea of identity going to use his memory to paint a picture this was probably hard for equiano to give accurate accounts since he was kidnapped from his village at a young age so his accounts of the village might not be 100 percent accurate but they do help us get an idea of where he came from yes from the memories that equiano was able to recall does help paint an idea of where he came from and what he was like, what it was like in the Echo Village he was from. I might not have. Identities, close quote. A literary scholar by the name Vincent, who basically discredits Echo's past and the fact that he. Vincent, in simple terms, calls him a far invented can identity, close quote. Why do you think Hereto would call Oda, Oda Equiano a fraud, Igbo? If that were, if that is where he was kidnapped from. Based on records, I've never been Hereto have found two documents that that countered what Equiano has said in his biography about being from an Igbo village. Credit thought he was from South Carolina. The two sources that he found were a baptismal record and a ship's muster roll. He gives the statement that Equiano had given this information to the Angelican priests and ship's pursuers. There isn't actually an account of this since the account from the priest and ship pursuers is from quite a while before his autobiography was written, which now has brought about the question if Equiano was really from Igbo village or was all the information of things he recalled from his memory just false and didn't actually occur. Wait, so why is this information not true? The information from the autobiography is the most accurate piece have regarding Equiano, not just because his first his first hand personally helps helps explain the disparity between his identity and experience that he is able to recall, then we wouldn't be able. To... 
if he was from South Carolina or, or in Igbo Village. We can't forget that Equiano was kidnapped from his village around the age of 10. So what he is able to recall is very few and probably faint memories of what, of what certain names of things were called, but was able to do so to the best of his abilities. But also, they might have changed his place of birth to South Carolina when he was kidnapped. Trying to rid him memories of the Igbo village. The idea of mistaken identity was common within the slave trade. The idea begins, open quote, African, close quote, or open quote, American, close quote, was difficult for the for those enslaved and uprooted from their home and culture to understand. Instead, they had to become creative and essentially start a new culture in the, in the Americas based on some practices that they could remember from their homelands. With scholars claiming that African culture was not surviving, it was arriving. Basically to say that how, basically say that now that all those Africans taken and enslaved have brought the traditions over the Americas aren't really losing their way. The ideas and customs of the Africans never changed. When they were captured and brought to America, they had to adopt new social and cultural understanding, not actually losing their ability, but not identity, but not understanding their place in the new world. Those enslaved different, different roles and lifestyles before being captured. <clears throat> so the judgment made from their kidnap to life in a new place. America was difficult. The people who really knew the more of the slave origin were the slaveholders and traders. For the slaveholders, it was imperative that they were able to tell the difference when monitoring and accessing those enslaved. For the most part, however, it was more difficult for the Europeans to understand the identity of the Africans. Okay, so the mistaken identities of Africans was due to the lack of knowledge on the part of the European and a failure to understand how African identity themselves. Why is it so hard for Europeans to tell the difference? Since the Africans were different from the Europeans, they weren't really able to understand the Africans' idea of ethnic or national identification, a complex series of self-understanding and interpolated identification that was so hard for Europeans to grasp. An example of this is an enslaved, that, an enslaved African that becomes free by the name of Alvarez Domingos. Domingos takes him across West Africa to Brazil and then to Portugal. In his time in, in, his time in Brazil, he gained the reputation as a powerful divine, diviner and healer. Eventually, he was able to pay for his freedom and create multiple different houses. A lot of his countrymen in Mina. <clears throat> but it didn't last long. As the Portuguese Holy Office arrested him on accounts of witchcraft and sent him on trial in Lisbon. His inquisitors believed that he made a pact with the devil. Even after explaining to him, after explaining to them how he learned his rituals from the elders back in his village. Basically, in disbelief, the inquisitors banished him to part of the northern, to part of northern Portugal. Domingos had claimed to be a minor mina nations, which, which was a very prominent group of slaves since the Brazilian region at the time. A lot of mina nations, 
nation members for the confusion comes when this la- lady of the name Teresa gives the idea that Domingos might be Kubu since there aren't that many accounts of open quote Kubu close zillion documents it is hard to get a good idea of what exactly is the open quote Kubu close quote origin the African identity of Domingos was a mixture since the area he comes from might have been heavily dominated in the open quote Mina close quote people. They also had a mixture of open quote Kubu close quote. More exact for the area within the Mina nation of Nango that Domingos was from. For Domingos identity art recognition. Mina was a Meta-ethics term for identity that the Europeans were best able to understand, but the Kuba identity was the more ethnic between the people living there, while the Nagan was just the place where he was born. Okay, so the Africans had an identification similar to us now. For example, Kent is from Virginia, while Brandon and I are from Maryland. We all might be American citizens, but Kent would claim to be from Virginia while we claim to be from Maryland. Yes, that is the idea. It is almost the same when it comes to Americans being prisoners of war. They only want to capture people who were from New York. That extra classification is what was occurring. Thank you for your insight, uh, Brandon. Uh, So Equiano's identity is truly an interesting topic of conversation. And it's a large part of his life. Now, let's talk about one part of Equiano's life that, that set him up to become a significant figure in the abolishment of the slave trade. As mentioned by uh, Josh before, in 1789, Ola Equiano created the book called The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Ola Equiano, or Gustavus Vasa, the African. Like what... This, in this book, Equiano talks about his early life in Africa and the events that led to his kidnapping. His journey through the long middle passage and the major events of his life that occurred before him writing the book, as Josh referred to earlier. Equiano's story is not something that is an anomaly. It is actually very common. In David Northrop's book, The Atlantic Slave Trade, there's information by P.E.H. Hare about the main reasons of the acquisition of slaves during the slave trade. One of the main reasons someone became a slave was through kidnapping the same way Equiano became enslaved. To add to your point, I remember reading in Northrop's book about how grueling the Long Middle Passage was. It seems that in Equiano's book, he talks about how horrible it was as well, as it goes into detail about the selling of him and others multiple times on the way to the coast. It's crazy to think of how the same thing that happened to Equiano happened to countless numbers of others children like him. It was estimated that nearly 2 million people were transported through a port and the bright the bite of Ben was, was where Equiano was so Equiano was fortunate to survive the Middle Passage and have the chance to become educated over time. Those are both great points. It's sad to hear that this happened to so many people. Being ripped away from your homes and families like Equiano and sent to a pretty much a death walk for someone else to make money. 
Let's fast forward to 1781, eight years before Equiano released his book. In late November, an event called the Zong Massacre occurred in the Americas. We talked about the Zong Massacre in a previous episode. We had called Slave Revolts, the Amistad, and more, which y'all should go back and check out and hear the full details of the Zong Massacre. For our listeners that understand the importance of the event, well, that don't understand the importance of an event, we'll go into a brief explanation. Can someone explain? So a British slave ship called the Zong was ravaged by an illness that killed a large portion of the slaves aboard. After some additional events, the captain of the Zong decided to throw slaves aboard, overboard and claim insurance money for them. Thank you, Brandon. So the reason we bring this up is because, rightfully so, some people became outraged over the, outraged over the incident. This event really started to change the opinions of the slave trade for some people, and it, and it somewhat broke the ice for Equiano's book to really have an impact and anger people. That's a good point. Important paintings of the Zong Massacre were later used in anti-slavery conferences and would show people how horrible the event was. It really helped cre- create a great situation for Equiano's book and his story to really get to the people. That's true. Now, let's talk about the aftermath of Equiano's book. When Equiano wrote his book, the support over the, fo- over the following years began to grow in English society. Over time, people with high standing began to join Equiano's cause. Even people in nobility, like many different dukes, earls, and just rich people in general. These people began to sign for the book as subscribers, which is kind of like a, I agree with and support your book. This increased Equiano's social standing and helped him with what he would try to persuade Parliament to abolish the slave trade. Over time, the conversation of abolishing slavery, abolishing the slave trade began to began to become the main topic as Parliament began to make the groundbreaking decision to abolish the slave trade. This decision was needed to move um, move forward and create a world without slavery. And one of the world's greatest empires at the time, destroying the slave trade would go a long way. It's amazing to think of how much of a difference Equiano and his book made. To think it took only 18 years to truly get his message out and convince people when they have been in the same mindset for hundreds of years before is remarkable. That's true. He must have felt enormous pressure trying to convince people in Parliament to abolish the slave trade in a time that people were trying to trying hard to continue the slave trade. And like Brandon talked about before, he must have felt pressure on top of that by really being open and talking about his home and talking and calling himself an African man. At the time where this didn't happen, it's also amazing how hard he worked as well. He learned how to speak, ride, well, read and write English at a high level when he had no previous teaching when he was growing up. And to go and write such an amazing book that changed the people's minds forever is just amazing. It's very inspiring. He made the most of his opportunity. That's true. Now let's move on. Let's move to the aftermath of the English making the decision to abolish the slave trade. The slave trade uh, slowed down after the decision was made. However, there were still countries like France and Brazil that kept the slave trade going. France and Brazil didn't really abolish the slave trade for good until 1826. Although other countries... Then immediately, 
the 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 dominoes still fell within the next fifty years. It may be it might be interesting to also break up that the British did not necessarily get their hands dirty and forcefully abolish the slave trade. They didn't eventually start to have ships that went out in the Atlantic and would capture slave trading sl- ships and send the slaves to a place in Africa called Sierra Leone. That's an excellent that's an excellent point, Brandon. We've also talked about Sierra Leone Leone in the past podcast, so it it is really a reason for y'all to go back and listen to our previous podcast. It does seem like over time the people in English really began to hate the slave trade, making the British go and forcefully try to end it. This makes Equiano's book even more impactful to society. The narrative by Olida Equiano was arguably one of the most impactful books of its time. It gave people a true story about how horrible the slave trade was for not just Equiano, but almost all slaves that were part of the slave trade. Enough people were inspired by Equiano's story and words that they began to just to join the cause. This toppled a lot of dominoes, which with Parliament deciding to end the slave trade and later enforcing it with their military. Then, with other nations joining the cause, the courage of Equiano to stand up and fight for the freedom of his people in a world where the odds were stacked against him was amazing, and the world would be a better place for him. Thank you for your insight on the impact of Equiano's book. The life of Alada Equiano was one of the first times people in the highly developed countries learned about the life of an African man. They learned about his life before his kidnapping, the weddings, the music, and all the practices he participated in, and how it made his childhood great. They also learned about what was truly happening in Africa during the slave trade. The grueling walk and constant danger Africans faced on the way to the coast, and the challenges they go through on the ships and in the New World. Without learning about all this information, England would never have moved in to abolish the slave trade and end a lot of the hardships for Africans. Now, historians continue the discussions about Equiano and the greatness of his impact, along with the conversation of his character. Because without talking without Equiano, we may not get to fully grasp the impact of his activism to end the slave trade. Thank you all for joining us today. And please join us next week when we talk about museums, memorials, and memory. And don't forget to listen to some of our previous podcasts. For The Slave Trade Uncovered, I am Josh Belofko. I'm Ken Snotty. And I'm Brandon Betts.